Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and you're very welcome to the show, which is part of the Education on Fire podcast network. I just wanted to take this moment to thank our sponsor, the National Association for Primary Education, who speak for young children and all who live and work for them. This can include parents, teachers, governors and all those interested in primary education. NAEP, which is a non-political charity, works tirelessly to support teachers in the classroom and leads the primary umbrella group of 30 primary subjects associations and unions and gives teachers and schools a voice at governmental level at consultation meetings with ministers for schools. If you'd like your voice to be heard and to find out more information, please visit their website at nape.org.uk. That's N-A-P-E Hello and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place where we share creative and inspiring learning in our schools. Hello, this is Mark Taylor. Welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast and this is a continuation of our well-being season. Today I'm going to be talking to Sean Delente and he's worked in education for over 20 years both as a class teacher, a school leader, improving schools consultant as well as a school governor. But back in 2009, faced with a significant homophobic bullying in his own London primary school, he responded by devising a groundbreaking, now multi-award winning, compassion-based training approach to LGBT plus inclusion in learning communities called Inclusion for All. Now, this programme continues to be delivered around the UK and overseas, and in 2016, he was honoured by the UK Prime Minister for Services to Education and the LGBT plus communities. But now, in 2019, his first book, Celebrating Difference, a whole school approach to LGBT plus inclusion, has been published by Bloomsbury Education. It's a real honour to be able to chat to Sean and really discuss this in terms of his journey and how the book came about and how all this can actually obviously support you in schools. But the debate and the conversation really stems around the fact that in order for us to have an environment in schools where as teachers and young people we can turn up authentically and be our best selves, which of course is the only way to really learn in a way where everybody's inspired and just being able to be themselves, to grow into the people that we all want to be, not just for our young people in our schools, then then this conversation's really for you in terms of how Sean's gone about supporting schools and organisations to make that happen. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Sean. Sean Delente. Hi Sean, thanks very much for joining us today. I'm really excited to be chatting about your book and all your experience in school and I hope you've been enjoying the summer holidays so far. I have indeed, in fact it looks like summer's back at the last minute so that's good. <laughs> Great stuff, why, why, why don't we start with a little bit of history, I know you've got lots of years experience teaching in primary school so let's start there and we'll work through then to how you've got to the point of spending your last uh, few weeks and months um, publicising a book that you've got. So I was, uh, I, I was a primary school leader um, obviously, I was a class teacher before that. I did I did my years as a class teacher across various different age groups, um, and then I became a deputy head of uh, a large school in London, actually, which I very much enjoyed. A really lovely school. And then in 2009, you know, I was just getting on doing what school leaders do. Uh, very preoccupied with being a school leader and a school governor. Um, and then just out of the blue, really, we uncovered through student questionnaires that 75% of our Key Stage 1 and Key Stage 2 pupils were experiencing direct homophobic bullying and language on a daily basis. And at that point, my life changed <laughs> significantly. <laughs> so, so so, take us through that. Then, what, what, what was it that sort of became clear at that point that one enabled you to then take that forward and also what that kind of realisation did for the school? 
It's that's an, it's a good question because what it did for the school was actually it scared us, it made us nervous because we weren't seeing any of it. It was all very covert. It was all very under the surface. Um, it was taking place in you know in changing rooms or via phones or online or on the way from and to school, but it was it was everywhere. Um, now faced with that data, and you have to bear in mind, two thousand and nine sexual orientation wasn't in the Equality Act yet. We actually were nervous about doing anything, um, and that really was a hangover from the days of Section 28, the legislation under Margaret Thatcher's government that essentially precluded school leaders from even talking about LGBT plus identities. So all of us still had that kind of feeling of, oh, can we actually do anything about this? And really, in the end, you know, I just said, but if this data was around racist bullying, would we hesitate to do anything about it? And of course, the answer was a very quick no. So we knew we had to do something. And at that point, I actually reached out to some other organisations, for example, Stonewall, and said, do you do training to stop homophobic bullying in primary schools? And they said, no, not in primary schools. We do it for secondaries, but not primary schools. And when I asked why... Uh, the answer came back, well, you know, if you do that kind of work in primary schools, it could be misrepresented. You could end up in the press negatively. And I said, but I've got data, hard data that's showing me that young people in our school are suffering. And I have to do something about that. Otherwise, I'm negligent as a school leader. So in a, to cut a long story short, um, over that Christmas, I, I wrote a training program called Inclusion for All, initially for primary schools. But very quickly, once I started to deliver it, it blossomed out to secondary schools and faith schools as well. And it really was based on compassion for all, not just some young people in schools. And what I love about that is the fact that one of the themes of this whole series is is very much the fact that well-being and, 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 and the environment of school should be nurturing, it should be compassionate, it should be caring. And from there, we set the environment and the way we want to live our life on a daily basis within schools so that people can thrive, no matter what their background, no matter who they are. They, they have that sense that they belong and they're comfortable within where their learning experiences are from. And I think that's really important rather than, like I say, setting a training program just to fix a problem. It's actually to, to essentially create an environment where everyone can thrive. And I think that's a really important thing. Yeah, I mean, initially, you know, Obviously, it was triggered by a specific problem, but the solution to that problem, as I saw it, was actually to make the school uh, culture environment a safer, more respectful, more accepting place. Uh, so really, the kind of line that I took was, how do we as human beings, I include myself in this, how do we as human beings actually respond and react to natural human diversity? And we can either come up with a very... Um, glib answer for that or say the right thing or we can actually be honest about it and say there are lots of us that have at various points in our life struggled with human diversity whether it's the diversity of an individual or a group of individuals um, and that's part of human nature and I think historically in the education system we've had a tendency to kind of bury that propensity for prejudice or just teach young people or ourselves the right things to say to avoid getting into trouble or causing offence. And what I wanted to do with this training programme was really say, actually, we're all human beings, therefore it's likely we'll all experience prejudice. So how do we work with that positively and compassionately to ensure that the school community at all levels becomes a place that is nurturing, um, that it's supportive, that it's respectful and accepting, but it's one in which we can be honest about what we really think and feel about difference.
And having been on that front line, when you got that data, when you suddenly been you you're aware of this situation, was it an actual? You know, were, were there people that were being bullied because of their orientation, or was it just name calling based on things that people had actually heard, or is it a combination of both of those things? Because you sort of think in primary schools, actually children aren't there yet in the same way as they might be when they were in secondary school for example and going in through their teen years yeah which is kind of what i thought to be honest well as a as a professional i think i thought that um you know again i can i kind of fell into the trap of just thinking well it's something for secondary but i don't know why i fell into that trap because actually you know as you know i'm gay myself and i knew i was gay when i was at primary school you know, I, I've got photos of me at primary school, some of my earliest school photos, and I look at them and I know that that little boy looking back at me knew, for example, that he fancied Benny, the one with the beard out of ABBA, knew that he fancied Sean Connery as James Bond. And, and no one had forced me to be like that, or no one had made me like that, except presumably my parents and, and nature itself. And I'd certainly not made any choice. It's just the way I emerged as a young person. So actually, when I went to work in primary schools, you know, I, I would look at young people and I would think there must be young people in this school who feel like I did. What are we actually doing for them? Are we even acknowledging that they exist? Um, and that's not to say that we as professionals should label children at primary school or attempt to put them in a box. But it's about creating a culture in which whoever young children emerge to be, that they know they're they're safe, that they're protected, that they're respected, they'll be accepted for who they are. So I think I did fall into that trap of kind of um, almost thinking, no, this is work for secondary. But what that data showed us in primary was that children were being physically bullied, they were being bullied online, they were hearing the use of the word gay as a pejorative term or a cuss on a daily basis. But it was also affecting parents, how they spoke to each other. And it was also forcing members of staff who identified as LGBT plus to um, suppress their identity, to keep it hidden, to be inauthentic at work. And that's not good for their emotional well-being, but also for their outcomes in terms of their ability to work to full capacity. And I guess... In a, in a sense, like I say, I mean, it's a it's a massive change, isn't it? In just such a few years, that to be able to have those conversations right through the primary into secondary, so that there isn't this sense of I don't understand what's going on, and then at some point maybe understanding what's going on, to just have all those open dialogues where you start to understand, which is what primary school is for me often is the fact you know it's about experiencing many different things having many conversations you know I do mm -hmm. like this type of area of learning I don't like this one I love doing some sport I love doing music I love doing art I love being away from the school grounds I love being in school whatever it happens to be and I think the broader that can be and the conversations that can be as broad as they possibly can that just means that you start to understand what it is that essentially you who you are what you're passionate about and actually where you fit into the world around you which I, I'm probably sort of trying to get across that you know that, that breadth of, of humanity as well as just the subject base yeah absolutely and i think you're absolutely right i completely agree with you schools you know i believe that schools should be a learn it's a bit of a cliche but you know a learning laboratory but i think they should expose young people to the diversity of uh, subject matter but also the diversity of human life and experiences and one of the big misconceptions uh, um, about LGBT plus education uh, and this was really kind of um, reinforced by section 28 but sadly where we are now um, there are people certain people 
um, including some people of particular faiths that are kind of pushing back against LGBT plus education. And, and the word that comes up repeatedly is promotion. Now, if we if we teach about volcanoes in school, that's education and information. If we teach about, I don't know, chemical changes in schools, that's information and education. If we talk about LGBT plus identities in schools, that's education and information too. But there are some people who, for whatever the reason, and I have a lot of compassion for people who are fearful about LGBT plus identities, because often it's based on a lack of education and a lack of understanding. But there are some people who think that merely acknowledging that some children have two mums or two dads, or that some people emerge as gay, that that's promotion, that that's asking or telling young people that they should identify as LGBT plus. And of course, that's not what it's about. It's absolutely not that. If we learn about volcanoes, we're not teaching children to be volcanoes. Um, and it's really important that we all have that distinction clear in our minds, because increasingly the voices um, pushing back against the kind of work that I do and Stonewall do, those voices are getting louder, they're getting more coordinated, and in some cases they're getting more violent and hateful. And, and talk us through a little bit exactly how your course is and, and how your work actually works on a practical level. Uh, yeah, so I obviously I initially wrote the programme of training for um, primary school teachers. And very the school that I worked at was based near um, Canary Wharf in London. And very soon um, I set up a training model of one training day each term as outreach. So I delivered the training in my own school and it had a very, very successful impact, not just on homophobic bullying, but upon all forms of prejudice related bullying, which is what I wanted. That was the bigger picture. And it was uh, it was it was promoted quite or it was picked up on by the press in a very positive way, I have to say. And as a result of that, we started getting secondary colleagues coming. We started getting faith school colleagues coming. But then we started to get people coming from businesses over at Canary Wharf. Um, and I said to them, look, are you sure you're in the right place? This is for schools. And they all said, you know, we've read about your work in the press. And actually, although it's to do with schools, what you're talking about is cultural, personal and organisational change. And that applies to our context as well. And I think actually it took other people to mirror that back to me, for me to see that clearly. Um, and that really enabled me to refine what I offer. And really what I offer is exactly that. It's a process of cultural and organisational change within learning communities, but starting with honest, non-judgmental reflection to ourselves as individuals. I never work from an assumption that we're going to be okay with somebody who's different from us because many of us aren't many of us haven't been in our lives so how do we work with that positively um because while i never wanted to introduce a training program that's about telling people the polite things to say or how to be politically correct which is a term i don't like anyway for me it's about going in there and getting people to, to open up and, and share how they genuinely feel about human diversity and how they respond and react to that and how they can learn to notice those judgments, how they can learn to notice those stereotypes and those assumptions, and then work with compassion to work through them non-judgmentally. And really, that's the starting point for the work I do. Obviously, further down the road, it includes things like teaching and learning, um, where to embed it across the curriculum, because it's very much a whole school approach. It's not a tick box approach. Um, 
it's also covers things like use of language and, and how to interact in situations where homophobic and biphobic and transphobic language is being used. It's also around creating a safe, respectful, inclusive environment, as I said, not just for some, but for all stakeholders within a school. So I'm also including making uh, enabling staff to be out at work if they choose to be, um, but also supporting parents and carers who might identify as LGBT plus as well. So it's very all encompassing, but it's very much a uh, whole school approach. I would imagine you find that when you've got the head or the leadership involved, then it filters through much easier. It, it must be much harder if if, if you're dealing with just um, a, a school where you know is, is desperately trying to be involved in this kind of thing, have these discussions, but it's it's someone slightly below that initial ceiling which is trying to implement it. Yeah, I mean, I've been doing this work for 10 years now, and, and I have to say in that 10 years, I've been contacted by so many lovely committed professionals who feel passionately that LGBT plus inclusion is is just the right thing to do because it makes the young people and staff and parents and carers feel safe and included. And they've come from all tiers within a school. You know, I've been contacted by lunchtime supervisors, by uh, PAs to head teachers, by head teachers, by school governors to teachers. And you're right, you know, that passion, that 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 wanting to, to make things right, it's brilliant. However, if it's not supported by the leadership team, the management board, the governing body, then it starts to fall down. Um, and yeah, you might have impact within one phase or one year group, but that's not what we need here. What we need is um, impact across a whole school community and hopefully that school to then serve as a model for other learning communities nearby or, or within the network. And for me, it always has to be, you know, when I first work with schools, I want to meet with the head teacher, I want to meet with the leadership team, I want to involve the management and the governors because it, it's the tone is set from the top and it's modelled from the top. And because I wrote this programme when I was a serving school leader, I've always come at this work, um, not from the point of view of an LGBT activist, sometimes that gets put in the press, I come at it from the point of view of a school leader and I know that change needs to be led from the top, there needs to be that buy-in. But along the way, we bring with us and empower those wonderful, passionate advocates that exist to all the other tiers within the school. They're so important. And so how did the book follow on from this or did indeed it follow on? Was it? Is it? I mean, I would imagine you talk about, you know, people talking about it more in, in terms of actually just getting the message out and lots of organisations and lots of people sort of coming together. I would imagine having um, a physical book like this and a way for people to come across it in different ways, not just through the press in the way that they're reporting it, is, is a really great way of people understanding the concept and being able to go from there. Yeah, it's, a, it's such a brilliant opportunity. It's a real privilege to have been asked to write it. So in May 2016, I had a very surreal week when I won three national awards. Um, and, uh, you know, I started to think around that time, actually, goodness me, how can I make the best of this now so that it reaches the largest number of professionals? Um, and sometime after that, I was contacted by Bloomsbury Education, who said, we've been following your work for a while. We think it's really inspiring. Will you write a book? And I thought, that's brilliant, because actually I'd been on a kind of treadmill, I suppose, from 2009 up until 2016, where I'd just been doing the work in lots of different contexts, just, keep, you know, keeping that inertia up. And actually, it was a really good opportunity to step A out of school, but B, 
to really look back at everything I'd achieved and, and look at what had gone well and look at what had not gone so well and really look at the process that lay underneath it and refine that um, and, it, you know, and then get it to a point where I could communicate it in the written word. So the book is um, the first section of it. The first chapter of it is very much a, a kind of summarized memoir of my life growing up as a gay youth who was bullied to the point where I nearly committed suicide through to becoming a school leader and getting the data in 2009 and everything that happened up to that. But the, but the majority of the book is um, a six-tier process, the six-tier process of organisational cultural change and personal change that I've been advocating uh, and leading hundreds, hundreds of schools through uh, in the UK and abroad for the last 10 years. So it's wonderful to have it all down. And what's wonderful is um, there are some case studies within the book from some of the organisations and schools that I've worked with, including the Island Man. Now, for the last three years, I've been supporting the entire Isle of Man education community to become LGBT plus inclusive, which is a huge step forward for them because um, being gay was actually legal there until the early um, 1990s and their equality legislation is only just coming in now. And essentially the Isle of Man is its own country. So to be able to reflect the, the progress that's gone on there um, as a result of our work in the last three years within the book is, is just a real privilege and I'm so pleased for them and for the young people of the island to see things moving forward positively at last. Yeah, and that's an amazing thing and I, and I think case studies are wonderful, aren't they, to really get get your head into exactly how it's made an impact on those mm -hmm. on, on those environments. And so you said you've got six tiers there. I'm, I'm guessing we haven't got all afternoon to chat about it, but we can, um, but can you just give us a little bit of an idea of, of what those six tiers look like in terms of of, of, of how people can then follow that through so they get an idea of, of how it would impact? Okay, so the first tier is focusing as an individual. And for me, this is this is the most important in many ways. And this is, this is you know, I talked in earlier in terms of really looking within before you start looking without. Uh, you know, what do you really think and feel about human diversity in all its forms? Um, so that's the first tier, is that, non-judgmental self-reflection and being honest the second tier is then upscaling that to how we do that as a team because obviously there's no point in doing it if you're just a head teacher or a deputy head and then a lot leading uh, the rest of the school through that same process so tier two is focusing as a team there's also work in there around empowering staff to be authentic within school communities um, even now I hear from LGBT plus teachers in schools who uh, who are told not to come out at work or who are asked um, to kind of suppress their authentic identity. And if we're asking people to suppress their authentic identity in the workplace, then they are investing emotional and physical energy into doing that. And that's emotional and physical energy that I would rather they were um, uh, focusing upon children and young people and outcomes. The next focus is tier three, and that's strategic development for organizational change. So that's around auditing current current provision and developing a strategic long-term vision and action plans. The tier four, the next tier, is, well, implementation. It's how you do it. Um, so there's lots there around teaching and learning um, and um, building LGBT plus inclusion into every aspect of school life and one of my training questions one of my opening training questions is where and when in schools do we learn about heterosexual lives histories and identities 
So I'm throwing that to you, Mark. <laughs> Where and when in schools do we learn about heterosexual lives, histories and identities? Um, I mean, that's one of those questions a little bit like um, when you cover Healthy Schools Week and e-safety week, isn't it? <laughs> in, yeah. in, in terms of that, oh, it comes across every now and again, or I think in that particular example that you said, it, it, it never, you know, is one of those things. It's sort of one of the you sort of things that crop up or should crop up every now and again rather than being embedded or, or just an essential part of everyday learning. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, the answer to it really, is, it, it, it happens or it should happen everywhere all of the time. So whilst things like LGBT History Month are wonderful, um, you know, really what we're talking about is embedding it through teaching and learning uh, all of the time. Um, so it doesn't become a bolt on. So it doesn't become tick box. So that's tier four. Tier five is around evaluation of progress and realignment of strategic direction and, and the associated action plans. And again, reflecting honestly as an individual in terms of how one's feelings might have shifted and changed throughout this journey, because one's relationship to LGBT plus identities isn't static at all. Uh, new learning can create new thinking and new emotional responses. And tier six is celebration and dissemination. So the, the kind of ultimate goal really is that the school, the learning community acts without shame because there's nothing shameful about being LGBT plus. And if we act with shame, then we merely perpetuate prejudice and shame. So by the end of the, uh, the process of cultural and organizational change, although it's not the, the final end, I hope, I hope it continues to develop, the school can act as a beacon to inspire and to model to other local communities, um, locally and nationally and internationally, um, the benefits and the joy of compassionate LGBT plus inclusion. The thing that strikes me is the fact that having done different series of this podcast and, and, and the thing that's, that came to me there was the fact that uh, one of the podcasts I did for the National Association for Primary Education recently was um, Professor Teresa Kremin talking about um, reading for pleasure. And mm. even within that environment, you know, talking about reading and, and talking about things what would in which would seem a different subject, she was talking very much about, as a teacher, being authentic and talking about your life, talking about the things that you read, talking about your interests, being showing up in your classroom as a truly authentic person, which then opens that door, that dialogue, that understanding, that connection with all your pupils and all those things around. And and through that particular example, uh, it was to do with the books that they were bringing in and they were reading and, re and, and all that kind of thing. But it's the same essence, isn't it, really? It's that kind of, hello, this is me. We're going to talk about everything as part of everything. And then you get that education, which is human to human, rather than it being just about curriculum and just about, oh, now, like you said, the bolt-ons. Now we've got to cover this sort of thing. And I think when you sort of start from that place, then the whole teaching environment is a completely different world. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we, we it, what do we want from our young people? We want them to be able to be who they are, who they truly are. And, and I, you know, I know I, it wasn't until 2009, it wasn't until I was 40 years old that I came out at school. And I came out of school because of the data that we got around homophobic bullying. You know, I thought if this data was around racism, what would what's one of the things we would do to tackle it? Well, we would get in wrong models from black and minority ethnic identities. Um, so here we've got data around homophobic bullying. Why don't we get a role model in? Oh, hang on. We've got a built in role model who's not being authentic because of fear, really. Um, and after a bit of soul searching, I fed back to our students in assembly that data 
75% of you hearing and experiencing homophobic bullying. And we explored it in an assembly, the implications of that, on somebody who was gay. And at that point, I put up a slide with various gay celebrities on it. And at the bottom, I put a photo of me. And that's how I came out to my whole school community. And the response to that was, was very joyful, I have to say, and very positive. But what happened as a result of that, at the age of 40, suddenly this energy, and it felt like emotional and physical energy, that I hadn't really noticed consciously, but I, after that day I did, this energy that I had been pushing into lying and concealing and denying who I was and my relationships. And once I told everybody in the school that I was gay, suddenly I became a much better school leader, a much better teacher. And that, from that point onwards, that enabled me to go on and do everything I've done subsequently. But it all goes back to that moment when I came out because I was free of all that negativity. And I would never want any of our brilliant, naturally diverse young people to have to go through life, consciously or subconsciously, having to force their energy into lying and concealing. I don't think schools should be set up to teach young people to lie and conceal and that they are not worthy, they are not welcome, they are not accepted. And I wouldn't want that for my parents and carers or my colleagues either. And I think if, if we can just stand back enough and imagine if all that energy you've just been talking about is flowing from whatever age let's you know pick any of that primary you know let's say age seven when when this is something that they're becoming aware of and learning about and they feel from that earliest age that they're completely being authentic that they're able to achieve anything that they their energy is flowing in such a way that it doesn't even like you said take away from anything else because you're suppressing anything or feeling like you're not fitting in or, or whatever it happens to be then mm. that really just means that all of those children, all of our children, are going to be absolutely thriving, as we would like to be the case, from their earliest memories. Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of lost in that rather joyful, beautiful picture you've just created. Absolutely. You know, how often as adults do we strive and struggle to achieve flow because of various things that have happened to us in our lives? If we can, if we can minimise those negative forces um, from the outset upon our young people, and, and, and often you know, a, a very significant neg negative force on young people who identify as LGBT plus is shame and feelings of shame. And that feeling of shame, I, I, I see it, I visualize it as a bonfire, really. From the very first minute a young person goes into a school and only ever sees um, books with mum and dad in it, but they know already that they've got maybe two mums or two dads, or they know that they're gay themselves. If they never see their own experience of being a diverse human being reflected in, in the models and images and the posters and the reading materials in schools, then they are going to start feeling shameful. Absolutely, they will. Uh, and that will grow and grow throughout primary school. And by the time they get to secondary school, it ain't going anywhere. So you're absolutely right. The more we can do, all of us, to make young people feel included and celebrated without shame from the start, the more we enable them to create a space into which learning can come <laughs> because that's why that's why we're in it isn't it absolutely you know? absolutely call me yeah. old-fashioned yeah call me old-fashioned but if you're worried about not being the right sort of human being if you're worried about being bullied if you're worried about being rejected by your faith or your parents or you're worried about being taken off for electroconvulsion therapy or anything that is 
energy you could be putting into learning so you can go on and have the best life that you can possibly get you know we would wish that every school was like that and but the thing i still find baffling is the fact that even if your main objective is to get an outstanding in Ofsted, even if your your main mm. objective as a senior leader is to be the best school with the best marks, surely the one thing we all know is the fact that you don't get that just by perpetuating a system where just doing more and more of the same thing is going to help. Because until children are happy, until they're feeling enthused, until they're feeling like learning is something they want to be doing on a daily basis because it's just enhancing their life, then then there's no point in it anyway. So even if you're purely doing it from a selfish point of view of kind of, I want my Ofsted rating to go up, surely every school should be starting with every child. And these kind of conversations, I think, are so important. It's why I love the fact that we do it in the theme seasons because, you know, all these things link back through, you know, just being authentic and being yourself and actually having a conversation about what does this child need today? And it needs that broad conversation. And, and, and I think this is such an important way of going about it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it, when, I, when I wrote the book, I went back and visited 50 versions of an activity a brainstorming activity that I do when I go and work in schools. So when I go and work in schools, whether it's a primary, secondary or a faith um, school, I will ask colleagues there to brainstorm around uh, a figure of a child that I draw on the wall. I'll ask them to brainstorm from their own experience what damage they think uh, and know that prejudice-related bullying has upon young people who identify as LGBT+. So I've been doing that for 10 years. So when I wrote the book, I got 50 of them out of my drawer, out of my file, and I went through them and I condensed what the most commonly used words and phrases are. Now, we haven't got time to go through them all right now, but if I just pick out a few, um, so just to stress, these aren't my experiences and words. These are the views and experiences of 50 different schools around the UK in the last 10 years. So prejudice-related bullying has... Uh, damaging effect uh, on uh, young people in terms of low self-esteem, low self-worth, modifying or compromising aspects of their true identity, poor mental health, self-loathing, not wanting to attend school, survival becomes more important than learning, self-harm, depression, anger, hopelessness, dealing with physical and online violence, less likely to stay on for higher education, career path compromised, suicide. Do I need to say more? Yeah, absolutely. And that just paints the picture. And it's why it's why the work you're doing is obviously so incredibly important and why um and why the message that we can spread and to share and come together as a community to make this just, you know, as we said, it's a, it's a no brainer. It should be just what we're all talking about. It should be how we're teaching our children. It should be an environment that we're creating for them. So. For, the, for those people who, who want to find out more and want to take part, in, and you, you said just before we started recording that you're also going to be going back into the classroom as well to actually be sort of on the cold face, as it were. But, but where can they find out about this specifically? Okay, so um, I have a website, www.seandelenti.com. Um, I can be contacted directly through that. And you'll also see on the website there are some detailed case studies from various organizations that I've worked over the years. Um, and I think that's important because there is still fear and anxiety around this kind of work. So um, have a look on there and you'll see the, the, the positive and joyful impact that LGBT plus inclusion can have. I'm also on Twitter, at Sean Delenti. 
And the book Celebrating Difference, A Whole School Approach to LGBT Plus Inclusion is out now from Bloomsbury Education. It's available on Amazon, but it's also available from Bloomsbury. It's also available from lots of online booksellers and uh, places like Waterstones have got it in their education section too. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Sean. I, I really hope that if you're a school leader and you're wanting to make a real difference and you're really wanting to have these conversations and to really set that environment for your school that you're able to, to get in touch and, and read the book and, and sort of make those implica- um, those implementations straight away. If you happen to be within a school where you feel it's really, really important but it's not, certainly getting the book, reading it, understanding it and taking it into school and opening those conversations yourself. And I think that's that's a really important thing about everything that we do on the podcast is the fact that no matter where you are on that level you know whether you're able to make vast differences quickly by being someone who can make those decisions or whether you're just someone within an organization or a school that can just have that conversation with one other person that starts to make those changes happen to change the environment to change the feeling of a of an institution that's just as important so wherever you fit into any of this go out read have those conversations and make the change we can so sean thank you so much for opening our eyes to all these things today it's been it's been incredible to chat to you and thank you very much thank you very much mark thanks for listening to the education on fire podcast for more information of each episode and to get in touch go to educationonfire.com education is not the filling of a pail but the lighting of a fire Do you need help and support in creating and embedding music in your school? If so, we have created Primary Music on Fire to help you with just this, a music membership site that's taking the fear out of teaching music by giving you the step-by-step skills and ongoing support you need to produce lifelong musical memories for you, your school, and your pupils. Go to educationonfire.com forward slash primary hyphen music.